Radio 191 FM podcast. Kia ora, you're listening to The Gist on Radio 1 with Tia and Aniwa. We're here in studio today with Jess Thompson. Hello Jess. Kia ora, how are you? Um, um, we're going to be interviewing Jess, Mouldy Mermaid, about your experience at Talanoa Mo. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about the festival first? Right, so I found out about Talanoa Mo um, through uh, social media and a gal who I... Um, sort of like social media Instagram friends with Shada Jade she was like you should apply for this scholarship to go see it and they were doing scholarship tickets to see this festival um, which is a two day festival uh, with many speakers Māori, Pacifica and Pākehā um, and I got this scholarship ticket because otherwise I'd have to pay $500 <laughs> it was a $500 fee um, and went up to Wellington um, to see this amazing array of um, artists and activists and um, workers speak uh, at Te Papa Museum um, and the way it was promoted was very much like it's a Talanoa Mao, it's an indigenous um, sort of uh, structure and they're targeting their advertising like to indigenous people so that was, that was the gist of it mm. So there was quite a big expectation mm. on the festival that sort of wasn't connecting to the reality no I would say um, we got there and we were really excited and for some reason we were just sort of under this impression that they were gonna deliver on um, you know a, a, that they were gonna stay true to the energy of the promotion which is mm. um uh, saying that they're going to have an open discussion it's going to be um, really even and equal and um, basically what a Talanoa Mao is is like this gathering of people for um, a diverse and um, challenging dialogue and um, it would be a give and take situation back and forth at least and uh, we would have opportunities to share and be really comfortable um, in ourselves and a lot of Māori and Pacifica people showed up for this um, hoping, assuming that um, it would be handled in an indigenous fashion I suppose Mm. Um, and we showed up and the structure was just really off eh and what part of it made you and I guess those around you feel uncomfortable um it's sort of it was it was over the two days these little things were happening um where like say we you show up and it's it's obviously it's in the museum so that's a bit of a funny feeling anyway and then you sort of find each other you're like oh I know you from Instagram or you're you know you're this artist blah 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 and it's majority like you're finding your Māori like um, friends and um, you know gathering in a little safety group Um, and like we went into the pohere and there was really it was like it was beautiful at first but then they had this this guy from USA stand up during the pohere give us this big lecture about climate change and it was really weird and then after that throughout the day little things like they'd forget karakia or they'd be too late with the karakia so people would get angry and 
um, the structure of the event in general, uh, the scheduling of it, was very hasty and uh, there was, it just didn't feel like a safe space. It didn't feel like we were going in there to have a fair and even dialogue and discussion with each other. It felt like we were going in there to be lectured to and then um, hold our tongues majority of the days. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So would you say, what do you think your role was in the in the discourse in their minds? Because it sounds like it was sort of almost a tokenistic mm. role. It all felt tokenistic once the respect for protocol was sort of dropped with you know this poverty being a little bit a, a bit funny and then not doing karakia and then um you know at, at points people would bring up their discomfort like in question time and it mm. wouldn't be acknowledged properly mm. at that point we were feeling like we'd been tricked into another sort of unsafe situation which i think is very common um in these events you know i felt like you know, we, we we can create our own safe spaces, but that really only goes so far when you've got this huge festival that you assume is going to be this wonderful place where you can be your truest self and engage with other Indigenous people um, and have a, have a fair discussion with each other. Mm. Um, but then finding out that it's the complete opposite and you have to sort of you know hold yourself and shrink yourself a bit to not cause any tension I felt like we'd been tracked and it was very toast I think that the way that the, the name was tokenistic Talanoa Mao and they're not actually having this open space it was just the, the setting as well I think it's important to look at the way that um, an area is designed and we were in a lecture theatre in a museum they they didn't have to have it there um and the way that it's structured so that we're being we've got lectures and then like a short amount of time for questions after like five people speak mm. it, it it was all kind of muddled and it didn't feel right you know that's really it it's very it is a colonial setup it's not like when you're on the marae and everyone's on in a room where they're having a whakawhanaungatanga and mm. everyone speaks and when un, until that conversation is over mm. it's, no. it doesn't finish it should have mm. been on the marae it should have been on the marae it should have had an openness like us all in a, a giant circle or at least gathering groups that um, changed as you walked around you know um, so that we could have those discussions together on an equal playing field I think they really didn't... I don't know, it felt rushed, maybe. And it was catering to a very elitist idea of what this should be. Mm. Yeah. It was at Te Papa Mm -hmm. Museum. Yeah. How do you think that's significant? Because I'm sort of familiar with Te Papa. My dad's a European doing Māori sculpture, so... I've got an awkward life. Anyway, I'm familiar with Te Papa. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the museum itself? Te Papa's weird, eh? Mm. It's, um, 
because I was lucky enough at this point to travel up uh, and visit the archives. And they've got some amazing Māori looking after Atonga down there. But it's still real sad. And I think the workers see it too, is that it's left in the dark and it's hidden and it's in these drawers. Mm. And the history of Te Papa in general, the history of museums in general, there's a lot of darkness there. There's mm. a lot of trauma. I think that being in Te Papa for this event having so many young Māori and Pacifica people there who have been affected by colonisation, we all are, um, if, even if they didn't immediately know that that was uh, an unsettling aspect, they would have felt it in their wairua, like, mm. even if you can't quite pinpoint. If, 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 if anyone was uncomfortable there, like, that's an aspect to their discomfort that I think is totally relevant because museums, mm. the history of museums and how they take and take and take mm. um, to sort of display uh, a dying race, like, that was mm. why we were all of our taonga were being collected and why mm. um, Goldie and Linda painted our, our tipunas because they believed that they were capturing a, a dying race and to have that shadow you in this big dark room you're not going to feel well you're not going to feel like you're on an equal playing field No, because when I go into Te Papa and I see all this you know, history of my own that's kind of encased in these glass, you know, showcased spaces. It's like, it's like your identity is under a microscope in a sense. So for that to be the space in which they're facilitating the discourse, it's It's weird symbolism. Yeah. 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 One of my friends, they went to the UK and they were in a museum and they found a big Ponamu piece that was... Their hap- it, um, it belonged to their hapu wow. yeah. and they were so whakama and they didn't have their own knowledge and they just started crying because that ponamu belonged mm. in their area to their people yeah and, and it's, it's not where it's supposed to be it's it's, it's gross and, and um, very unsettling and it makes you feel like you're a bit of historical you know um Artifacts, you know, you're a piece that's supposed to be in there, or, or maybe something's wrong with you that you are here because that's in a museum. So why the heck are you here? Because isn't that supposed to be from the past? You're you're a relic yourself. Like this, interesting. I know. It's just mm. it's got. I think that even if you're aware of it or not, it's going to affect you. Mm. And it's not. I don't think museums are safe spaces. I think they're interesting. I think that you have to really protect yourself and cut a care and everything before you go in. But going for an event like this, um, with the mindset that we had, talking to the other young people around me who were, were feeling that mamai, like, it was not safe. It mm. was not healthy. And you mentioned... So this interview is actually going ahead of an article that Jess is writing mm. on the event. Um and in that article, you mentioned that one of the only times where there was a true connection um, with your people in that space was during the lunch breaks where you got to chat to your peers. Yeah. Could you tell me more about that? <laughs> that was probably the gift of this event was yeah. that I got to meet, uh, meet some really beautiful people mm. through it. Um, and 
you you unite with your anger, and that's what I definitely learned is that anger is not necessarily a bad thing or something you have to hide or suppress. When it's this kind of situation, it brings you together with some people, and that's you know some people might think that's quite negative, but I think that a, a really huge positive. A thing came out of that because I established some relationships and we got to share our mama instead of feel isolated by it. Mm. I feel like we were the only people uncomfortable and we would hear little comments from Pakeha people around us being like, why are you so upset? Or I don't understand like what's the, you know, either they didn't understand or or it went right over their heads and they were like, this is just so beautiful. It's so lovely and authentic and I just, uh, there was a lot that needed to be discussed and we were lucky enough to have lunch time to discuss it. Mm. Um, but toward the end, the last day and the end of that, there were a lot of empty seats. There were a lot of people missing. And I think that that's because they just couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't sit through that anymore. But the real talanoa mau for me was lunchtime and gathering with these primarily wahine Māori who mm. were, were feeling it and we had mm. to talk about it. We had to get it off our chests before we went back in for another for another sit in silence and wait your turn to the end. And even then, you know, you didn't really want to speak your mind because you felt like you were being ungrateful. Like I felt I was ungrateful for being so angry. I felt like I would rock the boat. I didn't want to upset anyone. You don't want to offend anyone. Mm. And that's what it all felt like, hey, you're just holding your tongue the whole time. And sort of doubting your perceptions mm, of what definitely. was happening. Oh my God, yes. Uh, mm. Doubting your your feelings mm. and your heartbreak with it. Um, mm. I think it was really tricky because a lot of people were standing up and being like, this was wonderful and beautiful and I'm so grateful to be here. And I was, I am grateful that I got to go. I was very grateful to be there, but I, I, I was really questioning what right I had to be upset and to be confused by it. Or was I way off? Was I completely off with feeling weird here? Um, but what helped calm that were the other people who were feeling it too. And there, there's, yeah, there was. There were some strong feelings there. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. it was weird. <laughs> mm. I think it's evident that a lot hasn't changed and that we're still made as Māori people to be grateful for how much yeah. has changed and yeah. to deal with. Mm. It's, it's just, it's so, it's so You're all, aggravating. Yeah. You have to like bend yourself over to sort of like, you know, if you even, I don't know, you're just always checking yourself for being for for being angry because it's too angry or you're just another you know you're being too angry you're up, upsetting you know white fragility basically it's upsetting mm. you know it doesn't really upset Māori it upsets a lot of Pākehā when we're angry which is <laughs> weird I wonder why <laughs> it's, it's interesting that hey like in the lunch breaks you know, mm-hmm. you and your friends got together and were like, rah, 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 yeah, rah, but yeah. then you go in and you have to kind of put on Sit a different there. face. Yeah, you got to be real quiet. And I was scared to ask a question. I was scared to ask a 
controversial question, dare I say. And it wasn't even controversial, the question I asked. I don't, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was just like asking how we can improve these situations so that we can feel safe. Mm. Um, imply, I'm implying, I was implying that we did not feel safe. And that made everyone, I think that made the speakers quite uncomfortable. Not all the speakers, but like the host and um, some of the people quite uncomfortable. And but it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that you know aren't we always uncomfortable we yes, should be we should be challenged yeah and it was meant to be a di- like a difficult discussion that you work through yeah. and i think it is a really teal parkia way of avoiding conflict and avoiding on the pie pie it could lead to death yeah, yeah actually. because the truth would come out that's it and they just it's baffled me because in the brochure they had all these quotes about having difficult discussions figuring out who we are as human Mm. beings by having these complex discussions asking the hard questions Mm. no one was asking hard questions Mm. some of the speakers were so incredible though where they they would actually you know bring it up and um you know coco solid she was bringing it up and all of these amazing like people um primarily wahine were were talking about it and spent most of their talks talking about the weirdness of this event rather than their own work, which I just found very interesting. Goodness. <laughs> very Oh, that's a point, eh? They yeah. need to listen to that. And that's the good there are the good things that came out of this. But it 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 leads us to that bigger discussion of how are we going to improve our spaces? When are we going to, you know, um, work on our events so that they're not the they're not sort of tricking Indigenous people into showing up and then being put to the side again, or or having our protocol and our tikanga disrespected? Um, it, it takes more than just putting, funneling money into it and having some elite people involved. Mm. Well, Māori people always have to sieve through all the white views and search for a safe space yeah. outside of the main event. Yeah. Because it's always been the case, even the marais, Māori people moving out to rural communities. Absolutely. It seems so far we can only function safely away. Yeah, mm. which is like... Hard because most of us don't have the choice to go away for it. Um, people got to pay their bills, and like my fucker papa, we had to move to the city because of the war and everything, and 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 these these horrible things in our history that displace us. Then we get stuck here, and we can't find our safe spaces. Mm. That's the beauty of um a lot of our young urban Māori, I suppose they're called, who are making those safe spaces with each other in Mm. unsafe, you know, areas such as the city. Mm. But, God, like, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we, how do we get better if the people in power aren't actually paying attention or working on it or working with us? Mm. Yeah, because it seems to be that they're trying to present an image of equality and listening to the voices of indigenous people Mm. but it's sort of just in a very surface level way and they're marginalizing the people that are most that should be most involved in that conversation which is 
Maori people. It's like it's all for show. It's all to make them look diverse and ooh, they want their Maori engagement strategies for their big businesses, but they mm. don't actually want to employ Maori. They don't want to put Maori in power. Mm. It keeps happening. It keeps showing up. We've mm. got this Dame Fina Cooper movie coming that's in the works and they've put a Pakeha man at the top of the, like, freaking list like mm. why do you why does this keep happening mm. trust us trust us with these situations trust us with you know i i, I know that telenor mal was um you know uh worked what's the what's the name what's the word for it uh, organized by and uh let's say sorry organized by lemi ponifacio but the the board behind him was not necessarily yes yeah. Maori and Pacifica and this and let me put, uh, you know he's amazing of course um, he was really lovely uh, I, it's I hope it doesn't come across as an attack on any of the speakers or some of the organisers it is an attack on this I'm I'm trying to attack the system and um, and you know, want to discuss the system that we're working in, mm. even though we think we're doing the most with these events, it's still not quite good enough and and we need to admit that. A lot of this the systemic stuff too seems it's unseen because it's not quite clear from that brochure who is um, in the background no. organising this. They've put um, his name on the docket mm. for a reason. Yeah, brown endorsement. It's another form of brown endorsement where they put Maori people in very low levels of management and in the face. However, in the organisation team, it should have been a hui of Komatua and Rangatahi, Pacifica mm. and Maori people who not only are Maori but have the knowledge and have the strength within their Maori tanga or their culture so they can lead people like us who don't have enough strength in our and who are whakama and our Māori tanga mm. so we can go somewhere and mm. learn from the elders like we used to. Absolutely. Mm. And it just, it's aggravating. And that could be a way that us urban Māori, I mm. like that phrase, um, could actually have a shot at, at finding our identity mm. and, and feeling safe and navigating yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And having someone to look up to or to guide us and give us hope. Have obvious role models who are given, you know, who are who are given trust and not being tokenized and not being used for their image as a, you know, Maori or Pacifica person, actually being used for their person, for their their qualities and their hard mahi, and you know. The, the work that they've done, their credentials and um, and being spokespeople for their culture, like representation matters, it just does, like we need we need our people up there, especially when it comes to things that should be ours or our, you know, our Pacific cousins and yeah, there's that dying race, like <sighs> white saviorism, that the whites have to guide our way mm. because there are no there are komatua there are elders who know the old ways and mm. can teach us the old ways yeah mm. we can teach them the new ways and meet in the middle but when you're stuck in this situation in this system in the city like how can you find these people you can, 
where, where do you go? Like, I, I still don't know. I'm going to be asking that for a very long time. And it's, it was so weird. Like, the speakers, some of the speakers at this, Pat Sneddon, I think, was just, he spent a lot of his time talking about being a good ally. And <laughs> and it was just, it was so ironic. Like, uh, we had Pākehā speakers talking about this, this stuff. And it, you just... You're up there instead of a instead of a Maori or Samoan speaker. You could have just turned this down. Like I know it sucks because it's cool to have cool opportunities and do cool stuff, but sometimes you could just say no to a a event or an or an opportunity because in your heart of hearts, you know that a Maori person should be up there. Mm. Yeah. That mm. it felt like that kept happening. It feels like that keeps happening. Mm. This is just one example. Mm. You even mentioned that your first experience of hearing Tonga Puro mm. was at the festival. Was that was my first experience, and it was done by a Pakeha man. I didn't know there was a Pakeha man until lunch when when my new friend Anna. Anna, she's wonderful, by the way. On Instagram, she's nope, thank you very much. <laughs> and, oh, I just think so fantastic. But, um, yeah, Anna McAllister, she was like, he's, he's Pākehā. And, um, and to Wahine got up and asked at the question time, they were like, questioning the safety of the event and when are we going to see Māori up there they were really upset they were visibly shaken like on the verge of tears asking really hard questions um and one of the wahine was like yeah he you know if some people here that would have been their first time listening to Tongaporo and he should have been Māori um and that was just that just wasn't really acknowledged the best that we got out of the, the the response from the host was we're not perfect and that saying we're not perfect that just pisses me off <laughs> that that's oh, it seemed like such a cop out eh in the context of the festival but also in general i feel like in this climate at least i feel like there's a lot of focus at the moment on how people can be good white allies and honestly a lot of the discussion seems to be almost centering white people's (laughs) (laughs) white people's identity as a good white ally yes what is up with that it's really strange it's just another way to center it and if you really want to know it's so simple it's actually really simple and the way that people play it up to be this huge deep philosophical question that needs to take up more space and Mm. needs to take up more stage presence or you know uh whatever caption on on my freaking feed on facebook or instagram people being perplexed by this it's it's actually really easy like Mm. just pass the mic just take a step back like Mm. i said before say no to some cool cool stuff that you know should be going to Māori. Say no to um, an opportunity that is for a Māori, um, like, toi mahi project, because you know that a Māori person should have that opportunity. Like, it, it's, it's so easy. And I know that's hard, because, like, you want every, you want you want to do things, you want to have experiences, but, uh, you know, recognise your privilege. Um, mm. 
just literally take a step back. It's mm. so white culture, there is such their history is so vast. Mm. They have so many opportunities and so many different forms of art to look back on and reintegrate. Why steal from mm. a culture that you don't even fuck a puppet to? Right. There's such a beautiful European, like Irish, Scottish, English culture, Dutch culture, Norwegian beautiful art forms there's so much there you can work with there's mm. so much there you can connect with and that comes down to this really weird like state that we're in as a colonized country where our Pakeha are feeling their identity crisis as well they're feeling it hard and I vibe it because like I'm Māori and Pākehā and I'm mm. like well this sucks because I'm related to this horrible person who came over and did this horrible thing mm. And you're trying to move past that. And I think the best thing that you can do is to sit with it, acknowledge it, and, you know, using your privilege for other people doesn't mean taking the front seat. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you're not... It's so hard to articulate, but just don't try and be a saviour because we can do things for ourselves the probably the most respectful thing you can do for Māori is trust us mm. and trust that we can do the job mm. we're competent mm. we're strong mm. we've made it this far mm. we were never meant to but against all odds we have so chill out <laughs> we have survived yeah we have survived. <laughs> survived we us three like we were born despite it all you know mm. like and we live together isn't that like crazy safe- right in a safe environment and that's a great example of like living in the city away from your funeral and being able to create safe spaces with each other mm. and that's really hard to find it took me ages to find you guys it took me ages to find myself as a Māori wahine and yeah, I mean, there's hope there. There is hope there. Mm. I mean, so often we are positioned to compete with each other as well and to go, mm. oh, you know, this Māori person is too white to mm. be identifying with this issue. And yeah. honestly, I, I just think that we're really conditioned in New Zealand as, you know, as a bicultural New Zealand mm. to have that survivor's guilt Oh my God, yeah. And to not, and to not be able to speak about things that do affect us directly. Yeah. It's it's always going to be a case of, it's going to take a lifetime to unlearn that whole never feeling mouldy enough, never feeling enough for your culture, your people, for yourself, or feeling worthy of your birthrights. Mm. And it's so. I just think it's so interesting how that all connects to. At this event, there's these people practicing Tongapuro, and it's like Pakeha find it really easy to um, use our like our toy mahi and practice our, our you know our art forms. Whereas Maori feel like they can't even touch it. I feel like I can't even touch my. I feel like I don't have. I can't even go to my Madai. Like I could sure I could book a plane ticket and try and rock on up but I can't, I can't you know mm. I just there's a block mm. in me that I gotta work through and it's an endless journey and it's it's oh god there's so much to discuss there where we're just not feeling worthy and then we come against each other or we're pitted against each other and there's this this 
challenging of each other in a mm. really unhealthy way. Mm. And that definitely needs to stop. Māori against Māori needs to stop. Absolutely. Right? And it is an act of rebellion almost that we're even sitting in this room together having this discussion. Right? <laughs> and being artists together. And yeah. even our flat... W- there's six of us. Four of us are moldy. Right. Oh my god. Crazy. Dream really flat cool. in my opinion. It's like four of us are moldy. One Scottish, like Scottish European. Like, I think it's cute. It's cute yeah. flat, and it's it's a dream. Like to be living like this. Like that is all I could have ever hoped for. But it takes a while to get there, eh? If you're not, you know, like growing up, especially in Dunedin. My access to my culture was very limited mm. and I was exposed to like Pākehā principles and pop culture and um, there was just a huge lack of Māori tikanga in my life. So it takes a long time to get there and then to find people in the same waka or just people who want to learn with you or, or exist with you as Māori mm. and before... You know, before you guys and before, you know, doing work as Māori Mermaid, I was just feeling very alone and, like, I didn't have a right or it was just another world that I would never be allowed into because mm. I wasn't enough or I wasn't Māori enough. Mm. And so it's so nice to be able to start unlearning that at least. Mm. Mm. And you are. <laughs> just like you are. And I think this whole conversation is why we need to start making more wānanga and mm. more events that are taught to us by people who do mm. know the tikanga because we are all urban Māori who yeah. are struggling. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Like, have people, have Māori run events, Māori focused and run. Like, um, I, I just think it's so necessary, especially down here in the South Island. My God, mm. we've got, like, nothing. Mm. <laughs> we got nothing. Like, we've got amazing things, but uh, nothing that I feel like I could you know happily just easily walk into or be a part of we need more i think we all we could always use more even if we've got a bit you know Mm. i mean it seems kind of it almost seems hopeless Mm. but there is a lot of hope yeah Um, so for you as an artist Mm. what are you most interested in making seeing and who are your role models Oh gosh, so I, you know, I am just sort of figuring myself out with my art through drawing and poetry and I feel like that's, those are the best tools for me for for navigating myself and my heritage and where I fit into this world, like looking at my past to figure out my future and who I am as an ancestor mm. and who my ancestors were and who, you know, who my future you know, mokopuna are going to be. And uh, I think that I want to develop this, like, with motoi mahi, with learning more about our art forms, our symbolism, um, and our practices. Our, our practices require a lot of patience, so I'm just prepared to to sort of dedicate my life to learning about te ao Māori in general, Areo and everything. So I want to, I'm taking like small steps, like toi mahi class, mm. you know, learn from learn from people in your life and um, try and like get out there and actually 
work on things with people. I think that the most important thing is people and community, mm. not isolating yourself, especially Māori, like as Māori artists. Like we, I don't think we do well in isolation. Like No. We need community to thrive. And, of course, there's like competitiveness, there's healthy competitiveness that we can thrive in. But then that whole Māori, pity Māori against Māori, like we got to get rid of that because... Mm we thrive together mm. um so i mean that brings me down to my role models who are all like people in my life like my mama and my sister and you guys and like my best friends renee and miriam and like all these amazing maori artists like tay tibble miriam mm. grace smith like they're, they're incredible as i mentioned before anna anna McAllister is that her name i think it was McAllister. yep McAllister. i'm really bad with names but um but yeah, but like all these amazing Māori wahine who are doing incredible work and wahine in general, like I'm getting my inspiration from Māori wahine. I'm finding myself through Māori wahine, mm. but it's not just limited to Māori wahine, you know, it's it's all wahine. I'm learning from women and being a woman and womanhood in general. Mm. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, there are so many amazing artists, like... Gosh, Eliana Gray, an amazing poet. Emily Crooks, amazing photographer. Millie Lovelock, amazing musician. Adelaide, yes. Adelaide Cutter, who's an amazing musician as well. I'm like, should I like look into my feed as well and see who else there is? Like Rhea Hall and, um, oh gosh, just all the, just, there's so many. <laughs> I can't go down that rabbit hole. But yeah, there's beautiful, there's so many beautiful people. And like, as long as we like, engage with them and expose ourselves to them then we're gonna make the world a better place i reckon Mm. i think that's where it's headed and empower each other yes to have these these conversations Mm. and it be real yeah always (laughs) and have conversations you know don't have someone talking down to someone like recognize if you've been taking up too much space on the floor or too much oxygen recognize if it's not your place i'm fair-skinned maori i've got white privilege i recognize that and i want to work with that you know i want to like know my line and my boundaries my boundaries are my skin hasn't made my life harder Mm. being maori actually hasn't made my life harder it's been hard because of colonization and trauma and intergenerational trauma Mm. but no one looks at me and thinks i'm maori so Mm. no one actually treats me different Mm. that's a thing you know you've got to recognize these things that are in your benefit and this privilege and mm. and know that and then don't let that get in the way of your brown brothers and sisters mm. yeah and you can't go wrong with that and recently i found some interviews with one of my whanonga who has created a um, multi identity um she's a psychologist Ooh. and a way of um measuring multi identity that isn't like the the decile system so mm. just judging our money and sort of thing Ooh. and she found that our whakawhanaungatanga our connection to each other gave us a resilience that was even stronger than our real and it's the one thing that's like that has never died so mm. it's the one thing we can always have and Lean that's on. kind of your vibe. yeah I think so I think that's it eh because like we may have lost a lot mm. but we're still standing so strong we're still so connected by this invisible pull mm. that I don't know the word for whakawhanaungatanga like that whole aspect it's it's there it exists mm. you just know it you just feel it and honestly a lot of that collective 
pull I think a lot of it does stem from pain and that mm. sense of survival but it can yeah. be used for empowerment and I do think that your work does that for people we were talking about this the other day mm. sort of decolonizing your pain mm. and like not looking at it as something that you need to necessarily get rid of you're never going to be painless and I think that Māori use their pain. We're very, um, maybe the way that we use our pain is very different from the Pākehā way of using pain. And it's definitely got a solidarity to it. We've got solidarity amongst each other because of it, because of our trauma and our mamai. And I don't know, I just think that that's something to consider. Yeah, and I think that it's healthy that... um we know how to own it Mm. and how to acknowledge it and how to heal it. Yeah. Because I think at Talanoa Mao, I don't think they were acknowledging it enough. No, they weren't. That was it. They were just sort of like, it just felt like, oh, la-di-da. Like, isn't this lovely? A gathering of all of us and we're all equal. And it's like, Mm. no, we're not all equal. (laughs) Māori here are uncomfortable. Mm. We're uncomfortable. And, like asking all these big questions together as humans it's like just felt a bit tone deaf Mm. like yes we're all human at the end of the day we're all human Mm. but we (laughs) I gotta trust you to get there first like Mm. we gotta talk about that before we can get to that point of me feeling human with you rather than me feeling like Māori with you with this structure with Mm this colonial structure mm. I just think that should have been acknowledged more and it's interesting like did they seem to notice that all these people were leaving <laughs> did they like it's not a good sign I think they did you know it was that was the really so we did I think we ended on a really nice note mm. because we started talking about it a bit more at the end at the very last leg of this event mm. and you know, Lemmy got up and he was like, he sort of, he, he acknowledged it and was like, so there's obviously room for growth. So there's obviously things we got to change. And that's why we do these things. And I can see that. Absolutely. We do these things to know what to fix. But I think a lot of them were preventable. So the key is getting more Māori, more Pacifica involved, shedding these colonial schedule, this colonial scheduling mm. of our people and our mm. ideas. That is just a given. I, I don't think we had to go through this event to figure that out. But some things, you know, take time, I guess. Mm. I guess we just, we, they weren't there yet, um, maybe. Mm. But I'm hoping that the next one they do... Mm. Will have they will have listened? Mm. I think they were, but you never can tell with you know people who are up there in the art world and they're the kind of glitzy and glam and I don't, I don't trust it. Very very <laughs> opaque people. Mm. Like they don't give they hold their cards quite close to their chest yes. in the art world. They really yeah. do. You ask them direct questions and they really beat about the bush. You know they mm. they don't. They don't really give you straight answers. Mm. I don't trust that. All of this is just in complete direct conflict mm. with Teo Māori. Yeah. as well. Mm. That's it. I think your article is going to be really enlightening. Mm. A quick Oprah moment. What do you think 
we need more of in the world? Oh, my God. We need... It's a hard one. <laughs> we need more... Oh, it's gonna sound lame. Come on, like <laughs> we probably do need more. We need more araha. We need more afi. We need to afi each other. Mm. Um, and like, and not get so, you know, prickly when we get called out for things. You know, treat yourself like a child. You're learning. Mm. It's okay to get things wrong. Just don't. St- freaking do it again <laughs> yeah. just just listen to each other and uffy each other and send out your love no matter what what's left is love like what's left is araha that's like literally all that's left sounds so cheesy but it's that's the tea that's the tahi that's the truth <laughs> yeah cool um i think we have to wrap up soon Jess, thank you so much for coming in. This has been a really kind of emotional but really <laughs> cool <you>. discussion. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, there's so many ideas there that I just I feel mm. like I haven't touched on, mm. but we'll get there. Like mm. in our lives, we'll get there. So and we'll keep talking yeah. as well. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, we have to. We live together. <laughs> <laughs> lots, lots more time for more podcasts, yeah, and discussions, and your article is going to be amazing. Thank so. you. I hope so. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. All right. You have been listening to The Gist on Radio 1. We're here in the studio every Sunday from 4 to 6. Kia ora and good night. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.